Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you can take them out and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament. We are continuing on our series, I Didn't Know. And the topic today is parenting has a goal. Hopefully you know that, the parenting has a goal. Let me ask you a question. Who is invested in your life? Who is invested in your life to make you into the person that you are today? People have poured their lives into yours. Thank God for them. Give God the glory for them coming into your life. Because people came along in your life and they took what you had, what they had, and they poured it into you. And it's so special that they took the time and sacrificed their time and says, I want to pour myself into that person. That's what they did. You know, I thank God for the people that came into my life and poured their lives into me. I think of three men. Uh, I think of Phil, I think of Tom, and I think of Dave. And I think that especially two of them, without them pouring into my lives, I, I tell you, I truly don't believe I'd be a pastor today standing here in front of you because they set me on trajectory to follow Jesus and want to help me to get involved in ministry and help to make me into the man I am today. And I give God all the glory for what he did with them. They, they, he used them as instruments of righteousness in my life. And so let me ask you this morning, what's in your bucket? What do you have in your bucket this morning? That is it filled and overflowing? Is it lower or is it being filled? But what's in your bucket? Because you and I both know that the scriptures are clear that your life is not simply be filled up and have your bucket filled up, but you're called to give your life away, right? You're called to pour your life into others. That's what God calls us to do. The apostle Paul says that uh, he poured out his life like a drink offering. And that's what we're to do. You're to pour yourself on other people uh, that come into your pathway. You're to invest in them. And my question to you, who will one day give a testimony of your name that says, boy, they invested in my life. They made an impact. They had a great influence in my life because they took their life and they poured into me. Who will say that about you? Who will say that, give that testimony and give your name? I want to tell you about a guy named Moses. You know Moses, but I want to tell you about him. He had a bucket that was filled, that was full, and he poured into other people. If you have your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Moses was leading the people, and remember, he led them out of Egypt uh, and through the wilderness. Now they're sitting on the brink of going into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they could see the promised land. They could almost taste the goods of the promised land. But Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land with them. But Moses was about to pour one more message into them, to pour his life into them. So what was this in Moses' bucket? And what was he going to pour into them? And what is he telling us through this passage? Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's read verses 4 through 9. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your, fore bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And Moses is really clear here. He's given us two goals of parenting, I believe, if you have your outlines. And he says the first goal of parenting is this, that to love the Lord your God. That's the greatest you can do, thing you can do as a parent. Do you realize that? You say, what's the greatest thing I can do as a parent? Is to love the Lord your God is what he's saying. So my question to you this morning, do you love the Lord your God? Do you really love him? I mean, really love him. Listen to what he says in verse 4 and 5. Let's read it again. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
He gives us two specific things in this passage. First, he says, the Lord is one. And he's making a point of that the Lord is one. The second thing he gives us is, is the response. What does it mean to you when you understand that the Lord is one? So let's talk about the first one. He says, the Lord is one. What he's saying here, there, there is no other God. There's no other so-called God. There's only one God. And no other God, small g, competes with the true God. That God is holy, holy, holy. He's in a category all by himself. There's only one that created all things, not two. There's only one. There's only one God. And all these other gods are false gods. And he uses the word in the original language. He talks about the exclusivity of God. That there's only one God. And there's no other gods out there. There's no other gods. All those other gods that people talk about are false gods. And you look at this, say, why would Moses be sharing that right now in his, one of his last messages, in his big message he's given to the children of Israel? Because of the people the last 40 years, they've been in the wilderness with Moses leading and, and God guiding them in their path. But before then, they were in Egypt with many false gods, right? There were many false gods. Now they were going to the land of Canaan where there's going to be many false gods. And so Moses is telling them, you need to know this, that the Lord our God is one. That's it. He is one God. He's not polytheistic like they are in Egypt and in the land of Canaan. He is monotheistic. He is one, one God, and you need to understand that. Because you're going to be going in this land, and they believe in many gods. They have many idols. They have many religious gods. And he says they're going to try to have you compete with those gods. They're going to make the true God compete with them. And you need to understand there's only one true God. There's only one creator. It's the, it's the idea of exclusivity is what he's given them. And you think about Moses, and you think about this idea where he's sharing with them one true God, and you kind of be thinking, Moses, what were you thinking? What was in your bucket to make you say that, to make you think that? Why do you believe that there's only one true God? Why would you say that? And you have to think, if you're thinking of the bucket, what was, in, what was in Moses' bucket? See, Moses grew up in the land of Egypt, and there were many false gods, and he experienced many of those false gods. And then God, the true God, took hold of Moses, and Moses could speak of his experience with God, right? That the true God took hold of Moses, and Moses, when he was up on the mountain, this bush began to talk to him, right? The burning bush. God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, and he could talk about that experience, that God spoke to him through the burning bush and told him to go to the land of Egypt and, and, and bring my people back here to worship. And he could talk about that. That he could also tell the people, he says, you know, I was there when God rained down those 10 plagues upon Egypt and, and caused Pharaoh to go to his knees, where he released the children of Israel out of their bondage for 400 years. I was there. I saw what God did. He could say, I was there when Pharaoh regretted his, his, his decision and, and hardened his heart, and he grabbed the Egyptian military, went after the children of Israel to bring them back, and he backed them up to the Red Sea. And I was there when God parted the Red Sea, and the children of Israel walked through on dry ground. When the Egyptian military tried to, fo try to follow, God closed the Red Sea upon them and destroyed them. I was there. I saw it. I experienced that. Moses could say, I saw God draw water from rocks providing for his people. I saw God rain manna down from heaven, lovingly providing food for his people. Over and over and over again, Moses could say, I saw God provide. We see Moses pouring into these people of God, and he's saying, the Lord our God is one. There's only one true God, and you're giving your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Moses could say, this is why I believe it. And he's pouring this message into the people, and he's giving us answers why I believe that there's only one true God. 
And we hear Moses' answer. But what is your answer? How would you respond to someone? They ask, how do you know that God loves you? How do you know there's only one true God? Well, you could say, let me help you with that. I know God loves me because he sent his one and only son, Jesus, down to earth to die for me. That Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came to this earth and he took on the form of a human being. He became a, a, a baby. He became a baby and he grew up. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross because he loves me and he loves you. And he died for my sins and he died for your sins is what he did. Because we couldn't pay for our own sins, could we? And the Bible talks about that he became sin for us. And he died on the cross for our sins and made the complete payment for you and I upon the cross. And then he was buried and he rose on the third day. That's our story, isn't it? That's our story. And that's the story we share with our children, our children's children, and the next generation. That's the story that we share because that's our story. That's how we know that God loves us. That's how we know that God cares for us because he sent his only son. Let me ask you a question. Do you care that the next generation believes there's one God? Do you care about that, that they believe in there's one true God? Or is it okay that the cultural idols are sneaking up on us and taking those sacred truths of Scripture away from our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation? That they're trying to make them say there's not only one true God, there's many gods, and all you have to do is choose one and follow that path. You're going to be okay because we're all going the same place. Are you all right with that? That people are saying that in our culture today because that's what they're saying. They're bombarding our children with that. And the next generation, we have to fight for the one true God. We have to fight for him. The second specific thing in this passage is our response. Not that we understand that there's one true God, and there's not two, there's one. How do we respond? And God calls for us to respond with exhaustively loving him, is what what it's saying. With our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says in verse 5, let's read it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says to give him everything. That's how we do it, to give him everything. It, that's how you're to love the one true God, is to give him everything. Give him every thought. Give him glory for everything in your life. Give him everything. Put him first in all things. Yield your life totally to him, is what it's saying, is to love him with everything that you have. That's what it's saying here. And, and, I, and I saw this image many years ago, and I always liked this image that God gives to us. And it's about this, that God designed us with a certain way, with a certain capacity to love. Do you realize that? He designed you with a certain capacity to love. And you'll love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the Bible says, and, and to be filled up with him. And you can read in, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, well, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can read in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, instead be filled with the spirit of God. So you, you're, you, you allow your mind and your heart, to hold, your whole being, to love God with everything you have, right? Yielding your heart and mind to him and everything and pouring into other people. And the Bible says that this idea of exhaustedly loving God, when we do this, that God doesn't leave us the same way. Do you realize that? If you love God that way, the way Moses is talking about, God doesn't leave you the same way. But he takes you from one degree of glory to another degree of glory in the likeness of Jesus. He changes your capacity to love him and increases that capacity. The more you and I yield to Jesus, the more we yield to God, loving him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, obeying him, serving him, following him, yielding to him, he grows our capacity to love from here to here to here to maybe here. 
And the more that we do that, he changes our, our likeness to be more like Jesus. The more we're loving him, the more we change to be like Christ. And he's changing us to be more and more like him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That we have a way to, to glorify God with our lives, to how we live for him, to how we love him. That God doesn't just leave me as I am, but he changes my capacity to think about him, to experience him, to love him, and to grow in him, to be more and more like Jesus. Don't you want to grow in one degree, of, one degree of glory to another to be more like Jesus? So that one day when we see Jesus, when we pass from this life, we say, God, this was the capacity that I had for you. This is the capacity of love that I grew. This is the likeness of Jesus I grew for, for you. Why well, I lived on this earth, I didn't waste the time, but I lived for you. Or is this all you can muster out? Was this? You say, God, this is all I had to give you. This is all I had in my life to give you. I, I was so busy. I had so many other things to do. And this is all that I had to give to you in my life is this little cup. But God says, no, you can give him all your life all your soul, all your being. And he says, I want to grow you in the likeness of Jesus. I want to grow that capacity to love me. Don't we want to grow in the capacity that God gives us to love him? He wants to increase our, our way to love him, our capacity to love him. He calls us to love him exhaustively, but it's never just for us, is it? God doesn't just want us to love us, that we take and receive it, but God wants us to be a conduit of that love. Do you understand that? that we just don't grow and our bucket becomes filled and overflowing. It's so overflowing. It's just all over. God says, no, I want you to be a conduit of that love, that you take what I give you, take that love, and you pour it into others is what he's saying, that you pour it into that next generation. And that's the way he grows our capacity to love. As we love God by yielding to him, loving him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're pouring our lives into others, God just keeps filling our bucket. It's overflowing. And the more we pour, the bigger our bucket gets until it's almost this size. And it continues to get bigger. The more that we're here and we love him, the more we're pouring out, God gives, it, gives us more and more and more. And that's our second point that I want to talk about, the second point in your outline. The second thing I see in Moses' bucket is the second goal of parenting is impress God's word on your children. To impress it upon your elementary kids, your middle school kids, your, your high school kids. To impress it upon millennials, young adults, your neighbors, your, your co-workers. Here specifically, he says, impress God's word on your children and your children's children. He pick, you pick that up in verse 2. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2, he talks about their children's children to talk to them. Let's read verse 6 and 7, though, again. He says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you are at, sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. He says, take what God has given you, directly or indirectly, through the people of God that have come into your life and pour into other people. God says, take all that I've given to you and make sure you pour it into other people. Make sure you do that. And I see two things here that he's talking about. First is upon your hearts. In verse 6, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. When you look throughout Scripture, the one thing you see is when we, you and I come and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he recreates you, that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're a new creation. And part of that new creation in Jesus Christ, that God gives us a new heart. And on that new heart he gives us, he writes his commands. He writes his commands on our heart. And this heart is untainted by our sinful condition. This heart, that, this new heart that God gives us, wants to totally obey him, wants to totally love him. It's sold out for God. 
This new heart, it's the old heart that's not, but that new heart that God has placed inside of our heart wants to follow Jesus, wants to live for him. And that, that's what he's talking about here. He's given us a new heart is what he's given us. The second truth I see, he says we either teach or impress these God's word on our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation. It's interesting when you look at verse 7, when he says the word when. He says, you know when, where, and how should I teach and impress these things upon my children? He says, notice verse 7, he says, do it when you're at home and do it when you're not at home. What do you think that means? It means everywhere. I think it means everywhere, right? Do it everywhere is what he's saying. Do it everywhere. He says, wherever you are, to impress these things upon your children, your grandchildren, and the next generation. You ask, uh, uh, when do I do it? He, ta- he says, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So he's saying at all times, no matter what you are doing, no matter where you are, he's telling you and I at home, at work, in the neighborhood, at school, at a restaurant. He says, no matter where you are, no matter what you are doing, lying down, sitting down, uh, walking around, he says, impress these things up on your children, your grandchildren, and the next generation. He says, early in the morning and late in the evening, at all times, you're to impress these things up on your children. There's no time, there's no place that it's too busy to do it. You can never say, it's too busy to do it. I'm too busy. He says, These, this, that, and all things that you do, of all the things that you do is what he's saying here. We're to impress these things upon our children, our grandchildren, and the next generation. It becomes the priority of our lives, this is what he's saying. That's what Moses is saying. And that's for us too. That's what Jesus was saying. That our priority in our lives for you and I is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our priority. That's the greatest thing you can do. And our second priority, I know we want to have our children busy in so many different activities, but God is telling us your number one priority is impress these truths of God upon your children. Teach your children about God to love him, to love him. That's our priority. If you want to say, am I, my parenting goal, what is my parenting goal? To teach your children to love God. That's your number one priority. Do you understand that? That's our priority. Grandparents, that's your number one priority. Teach your grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, that to love God, that you love him, an example, that they might love him. They love God. That's what we're to do. And, and, and when I'm looking at this, I, I think of the three different groups of children that we see here. As Moses is saying this, he's saying to pour my bucket into my children, grandchildren, and next generation. I think the first one is the children in our homes he's talking about. And if you're a child in the home, I'm talking to you. If you're a parent or grandparent with the child in the home, I'm talking to you. And he said, what do we do with the children in our homes? Well, Moses says, he says here, impress on them the words of God, the commands of God, and raising them in the ways of God is what he's saying here. The raise, ways, raise them in the ways of God. And I believe one of the ways that we do this is parents and grandparents is bring your children to church every week. I think it's one of the great ways to do this. It creates a habit in their life. It creates a great habit in their life. If you think that uh, you want your children when they grow up, I want them to, to love God and go to church each week, but you don't bring them to church every week, more than likely the habit's not going to be established and they probably won't come to church every week. One of the ways to get your children to come to church every way, it's not guaranteed, but it's to be here in every church every week with your children and create that habit in their hearts and their minds that they realize they need to be in church. They need to learn about God. They need to meet and fellowship with other people. Create that habit in their lives. So when they get older, they have that habit in their hearts and minds. And they know, I need to be in church. I need to be growing. And they have that. Second, it's also another way to receive instruction from the Word of God. That we teach them. That they come together and we're learning from God. 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, you know it. It says, train a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not turn from it. And it's the idea of impress upon them. He's saying, imprint upon them. Dedicate them. Initiate them in the ways of God. Teach them the ways of God is what he's saying here. Parents and grandparents, your responsibility is to teach your children and your grandchildren. You are to be the primary teacher spiritually of your children. I don't know if you know that. You're the primary teachers. The church can't because we only get them, you know, and if we have Sunday school, we get them less than an hour a week. So we can't be the primary teachers, but you are. But what the church wants to do, what Crossroads wants to do, we want to come alongside of you and we want to partner with you. We want to partner with you this goal that your children may come to know Jesus, love Jesus, and follow him all the days of their life. We want to partner with you and create this firm foundation in their hearts and their minds and set them up for a success in the Christian life that they might walk with God, know Jesus, and walk with him and have that firm foundation of the scriptures. And so that's, so, that's why it's so important for our children's ministry to be open. So we can do that. We want to partner with you. And as I said before, uh, we want to open it in the second week of September because we want to partner with you. We, we realize the children that are here and the children that are going to come, they need to be in the classroom learning at their age level. And so we're going to have the kindergarten through fifth grade. We're also going to have the nursery through preschool. And we need you to be involved in that. So we're going to need volunteers in each one of those. And I share that with you. If you have children, I would really encourage you to be a part of that classroom. To serve at least one week out of the month in that classrooms because we're partnering with you. So you know what's going on in the classroom. So you can take it home and just reinforce what they're learning. And you can take those lessons and reinforce what they're learning to help your children build that strong foundation that they might come to know Jesus, love Jesus, and follow Jesus all the days of their life. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that our goal as parents? Don't you want that as a parent? Okay. Don't you want that as a parent? Amen. I want to hear amen. Yes, excited. That's your number one responsibility. Isn't that what we want? Because that's eternity. Everything else on this earth, guys, our children's jobs and what they do is occupational. That's temporary things. You know that only lasts for this life. We're talking about eternity. We want them to know Christ. We want to spend eternity with them, don't we? That's what we want. You may not know this, but uh, many of those children that go through those ministries are being taught, they will remember your faithfulness. They will remember you teaching God's truth to them. They will remember it. They will remember that you pour in your lives into them. You think, oh, I'm not making a difference. But those children will remember you, that you sacrificed and you poured the truths of God's word. And one day they're going to give a, a, a testimony of your name. I remember my Sunday school teacher, how he or she poured into me and helped me to understand who Jesus is or this or is struggling here and helped me during that time. We're to pour our bucket into someone else, aren't we? And children's ministry allows us to do that. When it says train a child in the way they should go, when you get into the original language, what he is saying here is talking about train or raise up a child according to their bent. That's what it's saying, according to their bent. How God uniquely designed them. And if you have more than one child, you know they're not the same, right? They're not the same. They're a little different, our children are. None of them are the same. So you train them in different ways. Parents and grandparents are the same, but you have to adapt to your children. You have to train them according to their bent is what the Bible says. So you have to realize they're bent and train them and encourage them and build them up and lay that foundation for them so they can become all that God wants them to be. So they have the capacity to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And we want to set them up with that strong foundation. We want to help you do that. 
The second group of children I want to talk about is those who've moved out. They moved out of your home, they're, they're older, and they don't, you don't have as much influence as you did as when they lived inside of your home, right? We know that. But you have to find ways to have influence in their life. That's what we're called to do. Can we all agree that if they are your children, they continue to be your children and live out of the home, right? For some reason, we think that once they're out of their home, they're no longer my children. I'm no longer responsible. I don't no longer have that. When the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go, we assume that means only while they're in the home. That once they're out of the home, man, I, I don't have to train them. I'm not involved with them, and my job is done. They don't stop being your children when they leave the home, do they? And the Bible commands don't stop being issued to us. Oh, they're out of the home, God, so I'm not responsible. No, the Bible says continue to raise them in the ways of the Lord. Parents, you can still pray for your children, amen? You can still talk with them about God, right? Amen? We can still talk with them about God. I know it won't be the same as when they're at home. Don't get me wrong. I know it's not the same. It's not the same when they're at home. It can't be. But we are still to pour our bucket into our children. God has given you so much wisdom and so much experience because it's just the years that you've lived. And if you've walked with the Lord in many of those years, you have so much experience to give to your children, to pour into them. That's so valuable. That's such a blessing. Don't rob them of the blessing that God has given you to pour into your children, to give them what they need. Allow God to use you to do that. It proves that you love God, and I love my children so much that I want to pour into them what God has taught me over the years, my experience with God, so they might follow God all the days of their life. Now, your adult children may not understand this. They might not get this, what you're trying to do, because they don't think they need that. But one day they will if they have children of their own, and their children get of age. They're going to see, boy, I want to make sure my children are following Jesus, and they're going to be concerned with that. And they're going to want to see that influence with them is really important. So just because your children resist it, don't stop. You're going to still be an influence in them. That's why God made you the parent or the grandparent, right? We're still their parents, and we still want what's best for them. As when we held them in our arms like this, they were our children, we loved them. Just because they're out of the house, we don't love them any less, do we? We still want what's best for them. And we know the best for them is what? That they might know Jesus, love him, and follow him all the days of their life. All the other things they do, it doesn't matter. That's what really matters, guys. That's what really matters. If they're doing that, all those other things will fall into place. But that's the number one priority, that they might know God, love him, and follow him. The third group that I, I, I want to talk about is that sometimes our children go off course, don't they? Uh, they leave the will of God. They're not following God, and they become that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter, and they're not following his ways. And maybe you've trained them in God's word. Maybe you've prayed with them many times, but they're, not, they're doing their own thing. And maybe you're, you're, you, you don't have that influence in their life, and they stop talking to you. They stop taking your phone calls. They stop taking your text messages. And you have very, Ill, in, very little influence with them, and maybe not any at all. You don't have any influence. And you start questioning and doubting yourself over and over and over again. And I've seen parents destroy themselves, beating themselves up, saying, man, where did I mess up? Where did I go wrong? If I'd have done this, this, or if I'd done that, or I'd done this, maybe they would have worked out better. And they beat themselves up. Can I encourage you with one verse that Jesus said in uh, John chapter 6? A verse from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, John chapter 6, verse 45, and Jesus was quoting Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13. And Jesus says this, it is written in the prophets, and he's talking about Isaiah the prophet. And he says, they, meeting the children, he says, will all be taught by God. 
everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him, come to me. And what Jesus was saying, all children are taught by God, and everyone who listens to the Father will come to me, will come to Jesus. It's everyone that's listening. So as he's saying this, what Jesus is saying is this to you, and, to you parents, is the Heavenly Father has all excess passes to your children. Do you understand that? There, there's no phone, any device. There's no geography that can be too far away. There's no walls they can build. There's no obstacles they can put up that can resist the will of God. Nothing, nothing at all. There's nothing that can stop God's voice in God's work in their lives. Do you understand that? And I'm sharing this with you who are hurting right now because your parent, your children have went off and maybe you hardly have any contact with them. And you're hurting right now. And I want to give you a word of encouragement that this, that God has no limits to his influence. Amen? There's no limits. No matter where they are, what they've done, or how much they've hurt you, God has no limits to his influence. He can still reach them. And so that's what we have to believe. And you could put all your energy into thinking, man, uh, and doubt yourself and say, boy, I messed up. And if I had changed this, and if I'd done that, and if I'd done these things right, maybe it would all have worked out all right. Or you can stop right there and say, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to start looking forward to the future. I'm going to put the past behind me. I'm going to stand in the cross of Jesus and look to the grace of God and believe this, that Christ will do a great work in my child's life that I'm going to start believing that. I'm going to trust in the promises of God. That even if they don't listen to me, the Heavenly Father, the Bible says, Jesus said this, that all children, that Father will teach all children. He will teach them all. And we can put all our passion and our energy and, and, and everything in our hearts and minds and the promises of God in the word of Jesus, where he says this, that we have to trust God with our children. That even if they're not talking to me, I know Jesus will continue to pursue them. He's not going to let up. And he's going to work in their lives. I have to trust him with that. Because parents, let me be honest with you. Even if you were the perfect parent, and none of us are, we all have made mistakes. And if you're going to be a future parent, you're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But even if you could have been the perfect parent, doesn't mean your children are turned out any different, does it? Because our Heavenly Father is perfect, but many times he's got wayward children. So we could have been perfect. So we don't beat ourselves up, but we have to trust him with our heavenly father. We got to trust him. Say, God, I know what you're doing something in their lives. And I'm going to trust that one day that they're going to come to you. They're going to either put their faith in you or they're going to come back to Jesus. Amen? That's what we pray for. Another group I'm going to talk about is sometimes we limit ourselves to our own bloodline. And this passage is for children or grandchildren, what it's talking about here. But, and I'm supposed to pour my life into them, but may I suggest that Jesus redefined the family. If you look at the passage, he defined family a, a slightly different. If you remember Jesus one day that uh, his mother, brothers, and sisters were to take Jesus because they thought Jesus had lost his mind. So they were coming to kind of rescue Jesus, to take him back home. And someone comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside. And what does Jesus say? He says this, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put him into practice. He changed, that's just not your bloodline. And I wonder what Moses, it means for Moses. We look at this passage where, where he says, you're to pour your bucket into another bucket. And Moses right then was pouring his life, not into his own children right at that moment, but he's pouring into the children of Israel, to the people of God. He was pouring his life into multiple generations at that time. The Bible says in Psalm 71, verse 18, it says, Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, until I declare your power 
to the next generation. Your might to all who had come to me. Do you see what we're called to do? It's yes to our children. It's yes to our children's children, our grandchildren. And it's yes to the next generation he's called us to reach, to impress upon him God's words, God's commands, and God's ways. But if you're the next generation, it's not about you receiving. If you're a middle school or high school or millennial or young adult, uh, and you're on your journey, may I suggest it's not all about you receiving from the older people. It's you're to declare the glory of God to us too, right? It's your job to declare the glory of God to us. It says in Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts, is what it says. Maybe you're at church that praises God from one generation to another. That's the kind of church that God wants us to be. We praise God from the one generation to another. May we, all who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, all of us, that we're unified and we're one in Christ, and that whether you're old or young or somewhere in between, we all say we're one in Christ, right? And we are all one in Christ, is what he's called us. We are to be multi-generational, is what the Bible says. But about this thing, when I, when I think about those people that have poured their lives into me, and, and they poured their bucket into me, every time you got a bucket, you got a lid, right? There's always a lid to a bucket. And I think about those people that poured into me, what if they would have put a lid on their bucket and say, oh, I don't think I'm going to pour into Doug. I don't think I have the time. I don't think I know enough about Jesus. I don't think I know enough about God's Word. I don't think my relationship is that close. So I'm going to keep my bucket. What if they would have not taken the lid off their bucket and chose not to pour into me? I imagine what my trajectory would have been in my Christian walk. I don't know where I'd be today. I'll be honest to you. If those people wouldn't have, would have kept the lid on their bucket. Can we all agree with here? Because God shows people to bring people in our lives, to influence us for Jesus. That's why we're here today. That we fill these seats today because someone in your life came alongside of you at some time in your life to influence you, and you're here today. You didn't come here. Most people don't come on their own because someone influenced them. Someone invited them. Someone shared Jesus with them. Someone prayed with them. Someone said something to them. And now you fill these seats today. And I'm so thankful that people that poured into my life. I'm so thankful that God brought them that they took the lid by God's grace off and they shared and they poured their lives into me. I'm so thankful for those people. And then I think, what about me? Do I have a lid in my life? What, what if I come and I put a lid because I'm afraid that I don't have the time or, or to invest in other people? Are we going to invest in other people? Are you going to invest in others? Are you going to say, I don't have the time? You know, some people, it's so easy for them to pour their lives into other people. Some of us, it's really difficult to pour our lives into the people. And I think it comes to this thought of scarcity. We have this scarcity about us. At the root of our fears, we all think that maybe I don't have enough. Maybe there's not enough. That maybe the, I don't know enough about the Bible. Maybe I don't know uh, enough about God. Maybe my relationship's not good enough. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe you've been told that all your life, that I'm not good enough, I'm not valuable, and I'm insignificant. And that's what you think, that your bucket, your bucket is right now almost empty. Maybe there's nothing in your bucket. Is that where, what you're thinking? That my bucket's empty? Is that where you're at in your life? That my bucket, what, what do I got to give out to people? Because I can tell you, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, if you're not, please do that today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. If you have, Jesus has given you identity. And he's given you significant value. He's given you, he's given you eternal significance and your bucket is filled and overflowing. 
and we are called to take our buckets and to pour into other people. And Jesus promises to fill that bucket for us. And that's what he's promising to do. And, and if I try, and we're to pour our buckets into the next generation. But I think sometimes what we think is, will I have enough? Will I have enough in this bucket to pour into others? Or will I run out? And will my bucket become almost empty? And will I feel like my relationship with Jesus isn't so close? Well, the Bible talks about over and over, and Jesus taught that there's no scarcity in Christ. And you remember the feeding of the thousands, when the thousands came and they had men, women, and children, and they had no food. And they said, well, we got to feed them. They have no food. And there's this little boy that had his lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus did an incredible miracle that day. He took those fish and that loaves of bread and he multiplied them. And they passed the baskets out. And all those thousands of people had their fill of the loaves of bread and the fish. And when they collected the baskets, they collected more fish and more loaves of bread than when they started off with. And Jesus proving there's no scarcity in Christ. In the Old Testament, they give us another example. Elijah went to this widow, and this widow had just a little uh, oil in a jar and just a little bit of flour in her jar. And she was going to make one more meal for her and her son because she didn't have any food, and then they were going to die of starvation. And Elijah comes to this woman, and she said, he says, make me a meal, make me some bread. And she says, uh, I only have enough for me and my son. That's all I have. And Elijah said, no, make me a meal first, and I promise you that your oil and flour will never run out. So she made Elijah a meal, and her oil and flour never ran out. And it's just that, that Jesus was proven there's no scarcity in Christ. Do you realize there's no scarcity in Christ? And when you think you're empty, when you think you have nothing left to give to others, and you're, you're there, and you think that you don't know enough, can I please encourage you to give what you have? To give what you have. You don't doubt what you don't have, but you're to give what you have. That's what Jesus is asking. He's not asking you to give what you don't have. And then that's what we get all concerned about. What if I don't have enough? Well, God says, I know you don't have all that, but what you do have, give to others. We all have something, right? There's something in all of our buckets, and that's what he's saying. To give what you have, to trust Jesus, what you have, and give that to others. Not what you don't have. That's not what God is asking you. We have to remember that God, Christ, has unlimited resources, and he's really generous with those resources. Never start doubting. Never stop giving more and more to others. Never stop doing it. Pouring your life into people all the time. That's what we're called to do. Never put a lid on your life and say, I can't give out anymore. But we're to constantly. And my question to you, is your life going to be one that you're filled and overflowing because you're yielded to Jesus, loving him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're overflowing in your bucket? Say, I have so much love for God that I just got to pour it in others, and God is giving you this love for others, and you're pouring it, and your buckets are just increasing, and they're just increasing because you're loving God so much, and he's giving you this gigantic bucket because your love has just expanded so much, and you're growing in the likeness of Jesus so much. That's what God wants for every one of us. And wherever you are in your life, God wants that for you. You continue to grow in him. And your love continues to grow. And you grow in the likeness of Jesus. Or are you going to say, I'm going to put a lid. I'm going to stop growing. I'm going to start loving God the way he wants me to love him. And this is where I'm going to stay in my life. It's all of our choices. We have to make that choice. Who are you investing in? Whose life are you impacting? We're all called to impact other lives. To be a drink offering, as Paul said, to pour a life in someone else. 
those people around you, that children, grandchildren, next generation, the people in our church, that younger generation, they need us with this wisdom to pour into them. And they need us. So we have to make a choice. Am I going to be the people that are going to grow in Christ and continue to grow? Am I going to be the one to put a lid on my life, a lid on that bucket and not give anything out? Let's pray. Lordy, come and we praise you. And we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for the message from Moses that he gives us today. Lord, that, Lord, we're to put you first in all things. That we're to love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray that for each person here. I pray that for the person today that maybe not knows Jesus. That, Lord, you'd help them to understand they're all sinners and in their need of Jesus, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And I pray all of us today can say, I know Jesus. I have a relationship with him. I pray that for our souls. And I pray that our heart bent, Lord, is to love you with everything that we have to put you first, to yield our hearts and minds to you, to realize that's the most important thing we can do in our lives. And Lord, the next thing that we're to do, we're, we're to impress these upon our children, our, our grandchildren. If we don't have children and grandchildren, to the next generation. We're all called to do that. That's our responsibility. That's what you've called us to do. That's what Moses was saying. That's what Jesus was saying. To love our neighbors as ourselves, to teach them, to pour our lives into them, to impact them, to influence them for Christ. And I pray that every one of us would rise to the calling. Every one of us would, would stand up and say, God, I want that life that is filled and overflowing with you. I want that life when I'm impacting other people with my life, where I'm pouring my bucket and my life into others. Well, one day they can praise you because how you use me to impact their lives. Lord, take the lid on my bucket and throw it away. Discard it, that I may never use it in my life ever. That my life is always to be used for your glory, for your grace, for that instrument of righteousness in other people's lives. Lord, bless us. Overflow our buckets. Lord, overflow our love for you, Lord. Help us to yield our hearts and minds to you. And Lord, help us to share that love, to be a conduit of that love to others, that they too may fall in love with Jesus and come to know him and follow them all their days. Lord, multiply yourself through our lives that we might impact many people. And many people may come to follow Jesus, Lord. Many people. And then those people might impact people and pour their buckets into others. Continue that cycle here at our church, Lord, abounding with your followers of Jesus Christ. Help us to multiply, Lord, in building the kingdom the way you called us to do. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us and instructing us. And Lord, you promised that no matter how much we give out, no matter how much we give away, there's always more because you have unlimited resources. You're always going to be there to fill me up, that I can never give out more than you're willing to give me. That every day you will provide everything I need to give out. I never have to worry about it running out. We have too many examples in Scripture where you always provide it. There's no scarcity with Christ. And so, Lord, we come to you today, and I pray this blessing on each person here, that they may know there's only one true God, and they might know him and love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, because of that, they understand the importance of teaching the next generation. Their children, grandchildren, young adults, they too need to know there's one true God and to love him with their whole hearts, mind, and strength. Help us, Lord, to pass this down. Help us, though, Lord, to be obedient to you in all ways. We love you, Lord, and we come to you this morning and realize, Lord, our only hope is in you. 
that, Lord, we only are going to be able to accomplish this is through you, Jesus. Not in our own effort, not in our effort as a church, but through yielding our hearts and minds to you and loving you first, putting you first, yielding our hearts with you. I pray that for each person here, Lord. We praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.